Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Welcome back to the Dear Prudence Show once again, and as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio today is writer and poet Nicole Perkins. Nicole's written for BuzzFeed, Vulture, Fusion, the LA Times, and more. She's also the author of the essay, Romance Novels Ruined Me. Nicole, I'm so excited that you're here. Welcome. Hi. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so like honored to be on the show with you, and, and I'm ready. I'm ready. It is... I mean, it is us who are honored, and I have wanted to have you on the show like from day one, so I'm really excited that we finally found a way to just get your good advice. The only way, actually, that this could be better, I think, is if your mom was also somehow getting patched in. <laughs> because uh, everything you've told me about your mom, I'm like, yeah, I want to know like what she thinks people should do with their lives. She would just tell everybody to marry rich or something. I don't know what she would say. <laughs> It's not bad <laughs> advice. I mean, there is definitely worse advice that a person could could give. Um, and I I should have gotten like, I actually feel like some of the questions today do feel ripped out of a romance novel. So in that sense, yeah. um, you may be uniquely qualified to help address some of these. Um, I'm interested in your take on the very first letter because I, I have read it through two different lenses, one mm -hmm. of which is slightly more generous than the other. Um but the first one is kind of uh, about the problem of, like, vague booking, um, mm. which is the term for, like, kind of vaguely and angrily writing about your problems indirectly on Facebook or other social media platforms and whether or not that actually helps. So I'm going to go ahead and read the first one. Okay. Uh, and the subject line is just, do I owe them anything? Dear Prudence. I'm at the tail end of a seven-month-long major depressive episode that really turned my life upside down. I was very open about my struggles on Facebook, but ultimately ended up signing off completely in order to preserve what was left of my mental health. I shared my reasons for leaving and gave information on how to get in touch with me in the real world. Out of all these quote-unquote friends, most of whom I know in person, no more than 10 have gotten in touch. It was quite an eye-opener. My question is this, do I owe those other people anything? I don't intend to go back to Facebook and really have no interest in reconnecting with these people. I came across some of them in person and have no idea what to say. Whew. Well, um, so I can just dive right in, right? With, with my Absolutely. Thoughts? Okay. Yes. So I think to answer the question, do I owe these other people anything? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I don't think that the letter writer needs to worry about those other people. And I think the letter writer needs to concentrate on the friends who did reach out. I think it's important to recognize that you have letter writer, you have 10 genuine friends who reached out. So do you want those 10 genuine friends or do you want the performative friends who are just kind of, you know, out there somewhere? Um, the 10 people who did comment to you or who did reach out to you rather, um, they are 
they seem sincerely interested in what you're going through. And I think you should concentrate on those people. And I think you also need to step back a bit and realize that not everybody is on Facebook every day. And you're not going to see every status of every friend that you follow. Facebook uh, On Facebook, you tend to have hundreds of people that you rarely contact. You're just kind of like looking to see how big their children are right now or if they're still cute from high school or whatever, you know. So the idea that everybody's going to know what's going on with you. I think we have to step back from that, Um, you know. And also, as a letter writer is looking for empathy, I think the letter writer needs to extend some empathy as well because you never know what the other people are going through as they're, you know, avoiding Facebook or not or whatever. And I think it's just kind of, um, well, let me say this. As a person who suffered from depression and anxiety myself, I understand that it can be a very insular kind of issue. And you think right. that everything, I don't want to say you think that everything is about you, but it's hard to escape thinking that someone's ignoring you because of X, Y, and Z. And it starts to spiral in, in your own mind and you kind of lose track of things. So I think the letter writer needs to remember that maybe other people are kind of, you know, experiencing something. They're not on Facebook. They don't see your status. The algorithms of Facebook are something we will never understand. <laughs> so there's no way to say that, you know, everybody saw her or his, her, or her um, status update. So, Maybe, you know, it's not everybody's fault that they're just, you right. know, nobody's ignoring this person's situation or whatever. Maybe they just honestly did not see it and didn't reach out. And you also have to realize right. not everybody knows how to talk or how to offer support for people um, who are experiencing some type of illness or trauma and mental health issues are an illness. And so it's not always nobody always knows the exact thing to say to help someone else going through that. I think you you did it. That was it. That's perfect. <laughs> like handled, sorted. Thank you. That was beautiful. Yeah, and I don't. I mean, if you see these people out in the world, I don't think you should say, um, "Why didn't you reach out to me when I was depressed?" I mean, that's just going to be a really awkward, uncomfortable situation, an un- uncomfortable conversation for both of you. It's just kind of you know, you found the people who are most important to you, who really you know are concerned about your health and well-being focus on those people and not worrying and don't worry about the hundreds of others who did not reach out i mean right that's a good circle right there 10 people reaching out trying to be supportive that's that's pretty good yeah yeah i i, I gotta say like that's a lot of people in your corner and that's great to focus on mm-hmm. um Obviously, that doesn't mean it doesn't still hurt, but I, I think you're so right. I'm thinking, too, of I think it's like Hanlon's razor is never a tribute to malice, what can be explained by incompetence or, in this case, you know, indifference or simple chance, right, to remember that um, not everybody is on Facebook, like, the same way that you might be um, and also might not have seen it, um, might not have known. And, and I, you know, just sometimes people are not you know, if you don't reach out to someone directly and say, I'm going through a hard time, I really need you, can you give me a call a little more often? And they had failed to turn up. I think that would be 
pretty like a pretty clear sign of indifference and this there's there's other possibilities still as a result so i think it's really wise of you to kind of say you know posting a lot about facebook or about my my mental health and and my depression on facebook was not um necessarily working for me in the way that i wanted it to and i want to find other ways to stay in touch with people about how i'm doing and i think that's great Mm -hmm. and i also think the letter writer needs to um figure out what exactly did she did he or she want from their friends like mm-hmm. what kind of response was the letter writer looking for what does the letter writer need and if there's a certain thing that the letter writer needs get that from those that group of 10 who reached out Right, right. And ask for it. There's nothing wrong with asking directly. I think sometimes it's easy for people to feel like if I have to ask for something, it's somehow less real or genuine if I get it. Mm-hmm. But I think actually asking for exactly what you need is weirdly a good way to get what you need. I, I realize that sounds really obvious, but sometimes <laughs> I forget that. Um yeah, because I mean, everybody's um, depression manifests in different ways. And so maybe one right. of the followers, um, knows how to respond to X friend, but not know, doesn't know how to respond to Y friend in these mm-hmm. kinds of situations. And particularly, you know, Facebook is really not the place for, in my experience, close personal relationships between your friends. So I, I think the letter writer just kind of um, should concentrate on their own healing and the group of 10 who reached out and then move on and not bring it back up to the other people if they come in contact with them again. I think that's fantastic. All right. I think we're ready for the second letter, which is just like Ooh. as soap operatic as it gets. Oh, yeah. Now, this is the one that I could definitely see happening in a romance novel or some kind of romance drama or something it's it's a I, lot. I have gotten a couple of letters like this lately over the last couple of weeks is some very bananas thing happening and then someone dies really suddenly and then there's like this additional last minute beyond the grave surprise or something like that wow so would you please do us the honor of reading this next letter sure the subject is inappropriately happy dear prudence Three years ago, my husband and I were in a bad place in our marriage. I just miscarried for the second time, and my husband's father committed suicide. We were barely keeping it together. Enter Jackie. Jackie had moved to our neighborhood a month before, after her divorce, and proceeded to make herself very close to my family. She brought over food, offered to run small errands for me, and I even trusted her to watch our daughter. I stupidly confided in her. She took my doubts and used them to seduce my husband. It was meticulous, deliberate, and diabolical. My husband confessed to me after he got caught in the act of kissing Jackie by a friend of ours. I forced him to give me his phone. I threw up after reading the texts and emails Jackie sent him. She offered to watch my daughter for a few hours after I had a breakdown and started bawling over baby clothes and then texted my husband about my emotional instability and how it was affecting our girl my daughter. I left with my daughter that night. In the aftermath that followed, we basically abandoned our house and neighborhood. We went to marriage and grief counseling. My husband switched jobs and we stopped trying for a second child. We're in a better place than we were, but not what it was before all this happened. I love my husband, our daughter, and our life. I have tried not to think about Jackie at all until I came across a news article. She was a victim of a hit and run and in a coma. I was overcome by a profound sense of joy. My husband even remarked on what a good mood I was in. 
It wasn't until several days later that the entire situation got to me. I never considered myself to be an awful person before or be the type to take pleasure at someone else's pain, but I did. I haven't told anyone or, or looked up Jackie again. I alternate feeling guilty about my feelings and trying to justify it to myself. Jackie was a horrible person who met a horrible fate, but one I had nothing to do with. I don't know what to do with this side of myself. Please help. Good Lord. It is a fraught situation. Yeah, if nothing else, letter writer, I just want to affirm to you, I understand this profound feeling of guilt and exhilaration just because a series of highly dramatic things have recently taken place in your life. Um, So if nothing else, if there's that sense of where could these feelings possibly be coming from, what kind of person would feel happy about this, um, I just really want to reiterate, like, in your own letter, you suffered a miscarriage. Uh, your husband's father killed himself. Um, your husband cheated on you with a woman who very quickly became a very important part of your life. And you also learned that she was, um, you know, using vulnerable emotional information about you in order to tear you down to your partner. Uh, your husband quit his job. You guys moved. Uh, and then this woman got hit by a car. Like, that is... Any one of those incidents would make its own letter to Dear Prudence. You you had five or six Dear Prudence letters happen to you within the last couple of years. So that's part of the reason that you are having such big, frightening feelings is because big and frightening things have happened to you. And And also, I think just something that's important to bear in mind, not that you should be proud of these feelings, not that you should be like, this is fantastic, but um, do not be surprised that there is a part of you that is you know, angry or vindictive or that feels glad when someone who has hurt you is in pain themselves, that's very human. Again, that's not to say those are good feelings or feelings that you should be pursuing or trying to magnify, um, but it is, those are all understandable, reasonable human responses. Nothing about what you described about yourself sounded to me like, wow, I don't relate to this at all. No other human being could relate to the idea of feeling a sense of perverse joy that someone they think of as an enemy has suffered like that is very human absolutely i i totally agree with that i mean i think that the letter writer's concern about being an awful person means that they're not (laughs) i you know that that they're concerned about you know what does this mean for me to have these thoughts um She's not gone completely over to the dark side. It's just a very human reaction that when we're wronged, we want to see justice done some kind of way, whether it's through revenge or just, you know, something else happens from the outside. And that's what's happened in this case. Something that has nothing to do with the letter writer or her husband um, or their husband affected this woman that did something terrible to their family. and. It's perfectly human. I, you know, I, ca- I have to keep going back to that. Um, it's perfectly human to feel a little thrill at that. Or a lot of thrill. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think one of the things that's important to remember, too, is I think at least I feel this way. And I think it might be something that other people feel, too. I tend to think of myself as kind of magic. Right. Mm-hmm. Like if something bad happens to someone that I'm angry with or resentful towards, 
a big chunk of my animal hind brain is like, yeah, that happened because I hate you. Um, right. And I know that that's not true, but the like really self-absorbed part of my brain is like, yeah, that happened because of the power of my intense thoughts. Um and that's not it. Like, if there is even, like, again, not that I'm saying you woke up unconsciously were like, oh, no, she was hit by a car because I'm mad at her. But there is maybe a part of your brain that is like, oh, God, did something bad happen to her because of how much I've spent the last couple of years hating her? Um, and the answer, like, is just no. You didn't hit her with a car. You didn't even see her about to get hit by a car and didn't say anything and are therefore, like, guilty by inaction. Um you did not do anything wrong. You are simply observing a feeling that makes you uncomfortable because it's reminding you, like, A, that you have a capacity for, like, hate and vindictiveness that feels scary, which I get. Um, a lot of times feelings can feel scary. Um, and then also because it's reminding you uh, that this is not so far in your past as you would like it to be. You are not zen about it. You are not at peace about it. You are still hurt about it, right? Like, which I get. And, you know, maybe there is a part of you that is still angry with your husband for, um, you know, as, as as awful as what she did to you was, like as much as she betrayed your burgeoning friendship, you know, he encouraged that in her. He listened to someone else telling him what a mess you were. And that's a horrible betrayal. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't be with him or that you should leave him. It just means you might still, you know, need to talk about, think about, cry about, whatever, look at ways in which you still feel hurt or betrayed or afraid of your husband or yeah. angry with your husband. Yeah, that's that's my advice to the letter writer. Talk to your husband. Um, hopefully communication is better now between the two of you after the grief and marriage counseling. So what right. this is, is just, you know, the relationship has healed and it's still, a, it's a, still a scar, right? And scars are dead tissue, but sometimes scars still itch. So that's what's happening now. That that conflict that the letter writer is feeling is that scar itching, you know, that reminder of here is this terrible moment in our, t in our past, in our lives. And I, you know, it's not gone completely. Something of that, you know significance is not going to ever fade away completely um so i think the letter writer needs to talk to their husband and just say hey i found out this blah 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 and it still bothers me a little bit and i experienced this joy because jackie was in pain and went through this terrible thing and it just reminds me of that moment in our life and I still love you. We've moved on. But I just, you know, it's not going to go away completely ever. And right. I think we need to acknowledge that. Right. And I think sometimes people feel like moving on means this is now off limits. We're done discussing it. And I hope that that's not the case with you and your husband. I hope, again, not that this means you guys have to wake up every day talking about it. But I hope you don't feel like we were allowed to be upset and sad about it for a while. But when we decided to stay together, it became an untouchable topic of conversation. And if you don't feel ready to talk about it with your husband first, a friend, a therapist, somebody in your life, you know, I think, you know, you say, I haven't talked about this with anybody and you can, it's okay. I, I, I promise you, no one who hears you say the woman that my husband cheated on me with, the woman who looked after my baby and then told my husband that because I was having an emotional breakdown over my recent miscarriage that I was emotionally unstable and ba a bad parent. Like, if you say, I'm glad she's in a coma, no one is going to say, oh, wow, I have no idea where that feeling is coming from. That's inexplicable. No one would ever reasonably be expected to feel that way. You you are unknowable and un ununderstandable. Like, 
people will understand. And they will also know you are not saying, I, like, tried to make this happen or, I like, I, you know, you're not at fault for having these feelings and sharing them will make you feel less alone and less crazy. I promise. Um and also give yourself credit for the fact that, like, you're not looking her up again. You know one thing you don't want to do is sort of endlessly indulge in looking up the details of her and her family's pain and misery. So that, again, tells me there is a good part in you that says, yes, I'm developing, like, this joy that makes me feel ashamed. But you're also not, like, going to the hospital so you can look at her, like, in a hospital bed and, like, laugh at her weeping mother, right? Like, you are very clearly not doing any of the things that would sort of feed the flames of this satisfaction. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, we all have a petty side and I think the letter writer just needs to consider it kind of a blessing that your family was able to move on and get better. And that again, you just, the family had nothing to do with what's happening with Jackie right now. And, you know, you just have to move on and just, uh, I echo Mallory in saying, talk to someone. If you're not going to talk to your husband, talk to a f- really close friend or go see a therapist if you're able, if if you're employed and you have um, an employee assistant program, there's usually an assistance program. There's usually a certain amount of sessions that you can use for free or, you know, that are already covered by your insurance. And then after that, you can charge do something like that just to talk about it, get those feelings out. I think maybe the letter writer wants to feel validated or have someone say you're okay and you are okay. You're completely human and you know, nothing you did contributed to what Jackie's going through and you just have Mm -hmm. to concentrate on your family, continue the healing that you all are doing and just, you know, talk to your husband. Yep. All right, I think this is getting us ready for the next letter, which is just, again, once again, some soap (laughs) opera level um, intensity. And uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing your take on this because I am of two minds very much. So the subject of this is just hypocrisy. Dear Prudence, about a decade ago, my sister called me crying. Her husband was overseas and she was alone with her infant son. My brother-in-law was there for the birth, but missed the entirety of my sister's pregnancy. To make a long story short... After the baby was born, my sister had unprotected sex with several strange men and got pregnant again. She thought that because she was still nursing her firstborn, it couldn't happen, and she was angry and resentful at her husband at the time. She was terrified. I took off work and flew down to be with her. I took her to a clinic, and she had an abortion. I told her that I loved her and wouldn't judge her, that we are all only human and must give each other grace for our mistakes. I am judging her now. Our mother suffers from rapid-onset dementia. In three years, she has gone from a vibrant, funny woman in her 60s to a total stranger. She doesn't recognize our father half the time. She lives in a nursing facility. My father visits three times a week. He is also seeing a local widow. He is several years younger than our mother and was upfront with my sister and I about this. He didn't want to hide anything. He told us he still loves our mother, but that he is lonely. I understand, but my sister flipped out. She said horrible things and screamed at our father. Since then, she has been self-righteous and cruel. She won't let her kids visit our father, they used to go every summer, and actually told them that Grandpa was, quote, cheating on Mama with a whore. I had conversations with the older kids crying and asking me why they can't come visit. I have bitten my tongue in two trying to reason with my sister. She's killing our father, hurting her kids, and is the biggest hypocrite on the face of the earth. Every time I talk to her, I want to throw the truth in her face to get her to shut up and see the harm she is doing to everyone. Please help. Woof. 
Um, <laughs> by the way, I know there is a contingent of people who are always looking for fake letters. And I have to say, this one feels so real to me. I don't know. Like everything that has ever happened, like everything that could happen has happened. Mm-hmm. Things happen all the time. I fully believe this. Um, this is incredibly dramatic, but also shit like this goes down all the time. Right. I mean, I didn't get a whiff of fake from this at all. It seems very realistic to me. Mm. Um, but I, I, I do want to say that I think the sister is being awful. Can I say that? <laughs> I, of course. Yeah. No, I, I'm right there with you. I, I cannot imagine. Of course, it would not be fun and exciting and comfortable to like learn that your father is dating someone who's not your mom three years after adjusting the fact that in her 60s she's gone from being like an active slightly older adult to a stranger with no memory of you of course that's going to be incredibly difficult to deal with but i cannot imagine this prolonged response of like keeping your kids away from him, telling your children that he is seeing a whore, which is just several levels of like age inappropriate, right. uh, just wrong. you know, shitty towards sex workers, certainly, uh, like just all over the map wrong. Like if you were trying to build a chart of bad responses, she would be like checking them all off. Yeah, I just um, I think the letter writer needs to confront the sister, um, stop trying to you know, be respectful. And, you know, I understand wanting to keep the sister's secret and trying to move on from that and and all that kind of stuff. But sometimes you just need to say, uh, excuse you, don't you remember you had something like this happen in your own life? I think the sister is projecting whatever she did onto her father. Um, like maybe because she wasn't able to talk about it or she didn't have, um, you know, didn't have a big confrontation about what she had done in her own marriage. And so now it's just all bubbling up and spilling over to their father. Um, I, I, I don't begrudge their father for seeing the local widow. Um, I think the father needs support in ways that, you know, his daughters can't provide. And, you know, the it's very hard to watch someone disintegrate from that kind of illness and to know that, you know, you can't be affectionate with that person in the same way that you used to be anymore if if they remember you at all on any given day. And I, you know... You need, we all need touch. We all need some kind of acknowledgement that we are human beings. And for the father to go out and, you know, have a girlfriend or whatever he wants to call um, the woman that he's seeing, I think that's okay. Technically, is he still married? Yes. But I think these are extenuating circumstances. And I don't think the family should begrudge him having someone that he can talk to about what he's going through with his wife, seeing his wife, you know. Absolutely. I mean, I think that she is like in a nursing home being cared for and doesn't remember him there. I mean, gosh, I wouldn't begrudge anyone in that position uh, starting a new relationship, like especially the fact that he is still there for her, caring for her, a part of her family. But they are very much no longer husband and wife in a very real way. 
Um, and that's never going to come back. So for him to find like companionship and romance and comfort from a woman, like good, he deserves that. What he's going through is incredibly painful. I can't imagine the pain of watching a partner I've been with my whole life lose all their memories of me and become, you know, in many ways, a stranger. Like that is just awful. Um, and to begrudge your father that, even if it's hard for you to also be dealing with your own grief of losing your mother, um, like, I totally understand having hard feelings about it, but your sister's response is just completely out of line. So there's two things here, right? One of which is um, you do not need to bring up her infidelity to her own husband and her abortion in order to draw a line. You can absolutely say, um, you know, your behavior is totally outrageous. I'm not going to countenance you calling our father or his girlfriend names. Um, you know, that's cruel and unnecessary and you need to get a grip. Um, and you can say all of that without bringing up the past, in part because this is news that has the potential to um, really tear apart her own family. Um, and so I think, you know, to to bear in mind, like, if you said this in a way that anyone else in the family heard or that implied that you were going to betray her secret unless she acted in a way that you thought was reasonable, um, you know, I don't encourage you to do that, even though, of course, it would feel really tempting just because, like, she's got young kids who this could really profoundly affect. But yeah, no, it is awful. And it's 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 especially in light of the fact that she herself has cheated on her partner. Um, and and like it, what her father is doing is not cheating. And I don't know if she would even see them in the same category, right? Because it sounds like for her, she's kind of mentally categorized it as this temporary lapse in judgment, whereas her father is trying to like bring something out into the light that she would rather keep hidden. Um, maybe that's part of what's coming up for her. But yeah, I, I think you can... First of all, say, like, your behavior is totally bananas. Draw the line. Explain why it's not okay. And if she keeps and doesn't let it go, I think to say to her, um, I wish you would apply to our dad some of the grace that, you know, I have applied to you. I think that that would be good. Um, but to do it in a way that does not suggest, like, unless you stop this, I'm going to tell people. Not that I think that you would let a writer, but it might be easy to kind of let a note of that slip into your tone. And I don't think that, like, even if she chooses to act terribly and awfully in all of this, then your father can decide to draw a boundary with her. That's her behavior. That's her problem. Um, you know, you can say to the kids, I really disagree with what your mom is doing. I love your grandfather. I love you. He's doing the best thing that he can. Her response is wrong, and I'm sorry. Like, you can do all of those things without spilling her secret. And I think, especially since you've been committed to... You know, you were there for her in that difficult time. She did not repeat the infidelity. She moved on. Um, I don't think that you need to, like, threaten to spill the beans. Right. But it's really sad. Like, what a missed opportunity for her to do the right thing. Right, yeah. And when I said confront the sister, for the letter writer to confront the sister, I don't mean, like, you know, in at the family reunion or something and, you know, <laughs> right. tell everything. But definitely just have a one-on-one with the sister and just say hey, it's a very similar situation to what you experienced. Loneliness can make you reach out to people that you wouldn't think you would normally. And just let's just be, you know, let's honor our father and what he's trying to do and how hard it is to watch our mom go through this. So I I definitely agree that the two sisters need to talk and that something's got to give with that because the sister should not be keeping the grandchildren from their grandfather. I think that's really, that's no, really No, it's really, really bad. sad. <laughs> and it's it's easy to say, 
you know, just draw a boundary if she keeps doing this, like let her know you think it's wrong and like step back. It's really hard to watch someone treat someone else badly when you know that they have done something incredibly hypocritical. Like it is so hard to not just want to like grab a bullhorn and say, well, let's list the shit you've done that I know about. Mm -hmm. Um, It's so tempting. Um, So I just really understand and empathize with that. And it's just really sad, especially because, like, your father is not cheating on your mother. He has lost his wife um, and is, like, doing the best he can. Whereas, like, you know, your sister cheated on her partner. Even if she was going through a really difficult time, she still cheated on her partner in a way that her father isn't. Um, So it's just a real shame. And I don't think it's a coincidence, right? Like, I'm sure... um, if there's any part of her that is mentally drawing parallels, it probably makes her feel awful and scrutinized and guilty and ashamed, and she doesn't want to feel those things. So mm-hmm. she would rather be angry at your dad. Um, that is the wrong response to guilt and shame. But it's apparently the one that she's going for, and I'm just sorry. I'm sorry. Grief makes people do crazy things. Yeah. I really think the sister is projecting, and it's just... I she needs to talk to somebody as well about what happened, what she experienced and, you know, work through whatever's, you know, all the stuff that's going on with watching your mother disappear in front of your eyes. Yeah. All right. Well, the next letter has got some more sisters in it. Some more sisters who are making decisions that the letter writer wouldn't. And the subject line of this one is just grandchildren. Dear Prudence. My sister was always the golden child, despite constantly screwing up. She was suspended from school, caught shoplifting, etc. While I was the afterthought, my sister would get an actual party, complete with cake, for getting a C in class while I got grounded for anything less than straight A's. Looking back, it was a pretty screwed-up childhood. Now, I am successful by any measure. Got a full ride to a good school, married a man that I love, have a great house, a great career, and a perfect little girl. I naively thought that when my daughter was born, it could be a new chapter for my family. I actually thought I was getting closer to my mother during my pregnancy and afterwards. We talked several times a week and they visited often. Only now, my sister is pregnant. She's unmarried and moving back home. And I think my parents are ghosting me. I call and they either don't pick up or forget to call me back. The conversations are always short and revolve around my sister. They mixed up a weekend visit to watch my daughter while my husband and I had a date night, despite us planning it for over a month. Their excuse was that my sister caught a cold and they were worried. She's 26 and only five months along. I'm never going to be close to my sister, but I stupidly wanted better from my daughter. She's only a toddler, but I had dreams of her being close to her cousins and her grandparents. I will not let her be an afterthought. My husband wants to just give up. He tells me my family doesn't appreciate me and it's not worth the heartache. He wants to let them go and maybe see them for a Thanksgiving holiday every now and then. His family is great and they adore my daughter. I don't know what to do. Should I give up? Wow. Um, My short answer is yes, give up, Mm -hmm. let go, move on. I am a firm believer in sometimes family is just in the title and not in the relationship. Sometimes you really have to let go and, and just see certain family members on those major holidays, Thanksgiving or whatever, They may be for your family. It is very painful and it will not be easy letter writer. But I think I think your parents have made it clear that they want to concentrate on your other sister. And 
You should focus on your daughter, raising her in a family that loves her, honors her, and not just loves and honors her, but love and honor you as well. And the things that you contribute to the family and, and to your, you know, just... Yes, move on, let go. It's going to be really hard. But the constant comparisons and and where you feel like you're lacking, that tears away at your spirit. And you just have to accept that whatever your sister is doing that makes your, your parents focus on her to that extent, you just have to let it go and just, you know, let them deal with it. I think once you are out of the picture letter writer and they don't have anyone to keep comparing her to, things may change. They may come back to you. They may say, oh my gosh, we're so tired of dealing with other sisters' issues or whatever. I would not count on that happening, but it's a very, you know, real possibility. But once you remove yourself, you remove your family and they see that they have, you know, like I said, nothing else to compare her to, and that they have to focus on her and all of her issues, they may realize, wow, look, what did we do? How did we get to this point where our daughter is making, you know, such strange decisions? Right. No, and that is, like, I I believe, like, this is a really sad dynamic that 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 kind of favoritism that's so obvious and so blatant and so painful. And I can't imagine what that's been like for you, letter writer, to feel like nothing that you ever do is good enough to get like the full weight of your parents' approval um, as opposed to when your sister just exists. It seems like she gets praise. Um, And that description of, I thought we were getting closer, and then seeing them start to repeat the pattern with your child, who you naturally want to protect and give a better life than the one you were given growing up, I mean, the pain of that must just be enormous. So I understand that, like, the prospect of accepting, like, truly accepting my parents are never going to give me the love and recognition that I've always wanted from them. Um, that's got to be acutely painful and hard to let go of. Um and I also think it's probably worth doing, at least on some level. You'll have to decide what that's going to look like for you. Um, do you think, Nicole, because it doesn't sound like the letter writer has ever expressed any of this to mm. her parents. Um, do you think it's worth having a conversation? And if so, do you think it's better to just focus on like, hey, lately I feel like you guys haven't been calling me back or our conversations have been really focused on, you know, Uh, my sister and I'd like to talk a little bit more about me. Do you think that would be appropriate? Do you think it's worth trying having some sort of more serious conversation of like, here's a pattern that I have experienced from you my entire life. That's very painful. And I see it happening again or anything in between. Like, do you think any of that's worth it or does she have enough information that that would only end in more heartache? Well, I think the letter writer should Yes, I do think the letter writer should talk to their parents and say, you know, this is something that's been going on all my life. And now I see it's about to start happening with my child. I I don't know if I can stomach seeing that happen again. Can you can we talk about that? Like when you know what 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 happened? Um, and I think that the letter writer needs to have that conversation just to say that she tried or he tried, you know, that, you know, you don't want to cut family off completely without giving them a chance to make amends, I guess. Right. Especially if you're already this close to giving up and just seeing them once a year, like you don't have a lot to lose. Um, 
But I also understand if you do have that conversation and they respond with indifference or they say, I don't, you know, I don't believe you. I don't see what you see. That's painful because that will shatter the last sort of illusory hope or illusory. I don't know how to say that word. Mm -hmm. Um, Hope that maybe they just don't know what they're doing. Because that would be more painful than anything, right? Is if you say, mom, dad, all I've ever wanted is for you to love me as much as you love my sister. And they say, I don't know what you're talking about. That doesn't look like anything to me. Then that would like kill that last dream that you're cherishing. Um, but I think might be worth it. I think it might yeah. be worth giving it a shot. Because that dream, frankly, is already, you know, it's worth it's worth killing if that dream isn't possible. Right. And I think it's important that the letter writer's husband is saying, let's just give up and move on as well. And that makes me think that the husband has seen stuff as well. That it's not just, yeah. you know, not to say that it was in the letter writer's head, but, you know, that there is some sort of tangible um, proof that yeah. the parents are, you know, exhibiting a harmful uh, kind of favoritism. And, you know, I mean, not to be dramatic, because we've had several kind of dramatic um, letters so far, but you never know, opening this conversation with, the letter writer's parents, you may find out some some other kind of secret, you know, that could help mm-hmm. explain some situation. Um, you know, maybe there is a question. Oh, this sound, it sounds really dramatic, and I I apologize that it sounds so dramatic. But maybe there is like a question of paternity or something, or right. And well, and it's not to say that like there's an explanation that would make it all okay, right? But it's you know. It, there is a possibility that you could share this with your parents and they could say something like, I am so sorry. We've always thought of your sister as needing a lot more help and we thought you were doing okay and we weren't as aware as we should have been that we were not rewarding you as much as we were letting you know when you like lapsed from our high expectations and we want to do differently and we want to do better. Again, this is not like a case of just like mistaken impressions. They have obviously um, not done the work they could and should have of just letting you know that you were loved and supported and that they cared about you. Um, But there's a chance, however slim, that they were not aware of how much this was hurting you and that being honest about it with them will at least give an opportunity for them to either say, thank you for sharing this with us. We're so sorry. We want to try to do differently. Or if their response is just, I don't believe you. I don't know what you're talking about. Your sister needs all this help and we have to keep doing this and this will never change. In which case, then you could say, fine, see you next year at Thanksgiving. Right. Yeah. Right. Would you... Please read our next letter. Sure. The subject is bald implications. Dear Prudence, I'm a 36-year-old white man who has been living, no thriving, with premature baldness since college. I've always had thin hair and a receding hairline. About seven years ago, I decided to shave my head, and it's been a great move for me. I feel a bit more confident, and I actually think I pull it off. It's a good look for me and actually helps me look a bit more my age. Now I'm left wondering if my shaved head might appear to some people as tacit support for skinheads and other white supremacist groups. My politics are decidedly progressive, and I work hard to be a good ally to people from underrepresented groups. I work on a college campus, and I wouldn't want any of my students or colleagues, particularly new students, to perceive me as anything but open and accepting. Do you think I should bring back some hair, or am I making something out of nothing? Can I just say bless you for writing that parenthetical? No, thriving. (laughs) With an exclamation point. (laughs) It was so charming. Thank you. I love you. 
Oh, uh, yeah. Um, I, I have a feeling your response will be similar to mine, which is <laughs> no, you do not have to, like, grow a little ring of hair around the back of your head. <laughs> that is exactly my response. Like, please, let's not do a George Jefferson kind of little donut. I don't know. It's not even oh, a donut. God, I'm just picturing a white George Jefferson, and I was not <laughs> mentally or emotionally prepared. Um, yeah, I, I, I think in order to be a skinhead, uh, the baldness is not the most important component. Um, it's the baldness coupled with violent white supremacy. So, you know, if you are not doing anything else to add to the story of your baldness, people are going to be very clear that you are not a white supremacist. You are, in fact, a guy who has been balding for a long time and is pulling a Bruce Willis. Um <laughs> I, I know this question can feel a little bit goofy, but I, I feel like I, I wanted to answer it just in part because I think sometimes I've been getting a lot of letters from people who are sort of overthinking little things in light of how intense life in the United States has gotten over the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think worrying about your hair is not, that's not an issue. Right. Like when I first read that uh, first sentence, I was kind of confused. I was like, why is he telling me his race when he's talking about his hair? And so I thought he was, the letter writer was going to say something like he's, you know, I don't know, like all these black women have started talking to him. Like, I didn't know why he mentioned race. (laughs) And, you know, like maybe he thought he was going to be, I I thought he was going to say something like he's become this white Michael Jordan and everyone, all these black women are like hitting on him or something. I really didn't know. I just, by the way, like love the idea that his problem was going to be that like everyone's asking to touch my head and I'm just feeling really like, no, I have autonomy. Yeah, I just I'm um, I didn't know what to expect. But, you know, I appreciate his concern and what he's, you know, what he's thinking about and like you i think you know it's not enough just to be ball-headed to be considered a skinhead there's an attitude there's another style of dress there's a language there's behavior that goes on a part of that and also not all skinheads are ball-headed you know not a lot of people know that but there are some skinheads who do have hair so i don't think that you need to grow any hair back and again, just make sure that your actions match your progressive, not a skinhead lifestyle. Yep. And um, I would also caution, like, if you do decide to grow it out just to see, don't look for cookies. Don't look for ally cookies, you know. <laughs> right. No one's going to be like, ah, I see you've grown a tonsure around like the back of your head <laughs> to make sure we all know that you are not like reenacting American history X. Congratulations. Here is your banner. Right. No, yeah. that's not going to um, happen. <laughs> no, and it, it sounds like it, there are other areas, you know, of your life that you can and should bring your um, anxiety and interest in doing good to bear. And don't don't make your hair the focus of that. Right. Um, focus those energies elsewhere. Um, and thank you again for that parenthetical. It was very charming. I bet you're great. All right. So this next one, uh, I'm glad we're getting back into just like regular old financial problems uh, and not like you know, uh, secret affairs and long ago abortions and miscarriages and car crashes. Um, Just good old fashioned mooching. The subject line of this is what's mine is yours. Dear Prudence, 
I just got a huge payout from the government. I tried to talk budgeting with my spouse, saying we need to make sure that certain things, like our kids' dental appointments, school supplies, some money to put away for Christmas, etc., get taken care of first, which caused a fight because, as he put it, I don't put him first with the family. He wants tools to start his own business, get our car fixed, and a computer monitor. I said yes to the car getting fixed, but I need to make sure the kids get everything they need before we do any more spending. As of this morning, my spouse has already booked an appointment to get the car fixed to the tune of $2,000, get it detailed, and is out paying off debts that he owes. I feel like he's not even listening to the things I was concerned about, and I know if I bring it up, he's going to guilt me and I will end up apologizing. Help. I had a really strong reaction to this letter, more so than the the previous um, more harrowing uh, letters that we talked about. Um. I think the letter writer needs to focus on the the children, what the children need, and also hide the rest of the money. <laughs> um, I think that... Yeah, this is messed up. Yeah. Um, because, you know, if the husband is going to start a job and he needs tools to start uh, his own business... There's other things that come along with that. Again, I don't know exactly what kind of business, but usually if you have a business that needs tools, you also need a website and certifications and advertisements and business cards and all the all this kind of stuff and all these expenses add up. And it sounds like, and I may be taking a leap, but it sounds like he will continue to eat away at that big payout for his business that could very well benefit the family in the long run. But it takes a really long time for, you know, uh, small businesses to get to the point where they're profitable and to get to the point where they, you know, they can benefit a family. So I think the letter writer, I would suggest that you hide the rest of the money or just go ahead and make those dental appointments, buy the school supplies right now and save them, put them away you know, tuck the receipts away so nobody can take them back, whatever needs to happen there. But go ahead and do that. Prioritize the children's needs because your husband has already prioritized his needs. And I think, excuse me, the line where uh, the letter writer said she um, the letter writer quotes the husband and saying, I don't put him first with the family. That's very telling. And it's a very selfish um accusation and that just sent you know red flags are waving just all over the place with that it's very it sounded very whiny and very childlike so um i'm just a little concerned about that and i think that the letter writer just kind of needs to just focus and um focus on the children and their priorities and i you know i'm kind of the mind where when i get a big uh, amount of money and it's not of public record. It's not something that's like announced online or something like that. Or it's not easy. You know, you can't find out exactly how much it is. I flat out lie. Like if I got $5,000, I tell people, oh, it was 4000 So that no one is like counting my money and telling me how to spend it. And, you know, I'm not married. So I don't know. You know, obviously those things are different when you're in a uh, relationship, when you're in a marriage. But I think... If there's any way to say, oh, no, honey, we actually only got, you know, X amount of money instead of Y, I think that the letter writer should do that as well. Yeah, I yeah, I, I hear you on all of this. There's a lot going on here, and I'm guessing this stuff did not start with the payout. Um, 
like normally my first advice is not like lie and hide your cash from your spouse, but hell yes, you need to open <laughs> a savings or checkings account in your name and your name only. Um, and don't give your husband like the pin. Don't give him access to it. Don't don't give permission at the bank for him to come down and take money out of it. Open an individual account, not a joint one. This, um, you know, like. This guy is talking about, you know, Aval. he says you don't put him first, which, like, in the sense that you want to pay for your kid's dental appointments and school supplies before you buy him a new computer or help him pay off his debts, like, hell yes, you're not going to put that first. Um, and I think the fact that he is demanding to be put first in this sort of way suggests that what he means is it's your job to fix all of his problems um, and for him to kind of get to do whatever he wants um, while you clean up his mess. Like, he's out paying off his debts. Like, Aval, what debts is he incurring? Like, it kind of sounds like he's out in the neighborhood, like, paying off guys or something. Like, if this isn't, like, you know, a shared credit card or, like, student loans, like, I've got some serious questions about it sounds like he thinks his money is his and your money is his, which is not what a joint banking account is about. Um, so absolutely, like, I, I, if you've agreed to pay for the car to get fixed but not detailed, that's great. You can write him a check for however much it t took to get the family car fixed, and then he can figure out how to pay for the rest himself in the long term. I think maybe if there's any of this money um, available, you should hire uh, like a financial advisor, um, preferably one who specializes in like some marital counseling on the side, not necessarily like who's a therapist that's going to give you financial advice, but somebody who can just give you practical advice about um, what what are the best ways to use your money and how can you make sure that you can protect it from your like husband. You don't have to share all your money with your spouse. Um, you say you feel like he's not listening and that he's going to end up guilting you and you'll end up apologizing. So that suggests to me um, that this is a habit and that he is used to getting what he wants out of you by making you feel guilty. Um, and so what's going to be the challenge for you, letter writer, is to say, you're absolutely right. I am not going to put you first in this. I'm not going to put your desires to start a business right now over like our kids' teeth or their ability to go to school with all the supplies that they need. And I will not feel guilty about that because it's not wrong. Um, and again, some of this money might might need to go to a therapist, somebody who can help you. I, w I wouldn't suggest actually going to marriage counseling with him right now. It sounds like he has kind of a history of manipulating you, and my guess is he will be able to um, use uh, couples counseling as another way to find somebody to get on his side and convince you that you're being unreasonable and not helpful enough to him. And I think what you need to focus on is um, how to say no to your own husband and um, if nothing else, uh, letter writer, I hope that you know that just because he is your husband does not mean that he deserves all of your money, especially if this is money you got for something individually. Right. And if if going to a marriage counselor is is not the best option, I definitely think that the letter writer needs to get someone to look at their finances and make sure everything is in order and that there are no surprises. Yeah. And here's the deal. Because you're already worried about your husband guilting you, and it sounds like he's already outspending your money. Um, one thing that will be hard but necessary is if he comes home and says, I need that money. I already promised it to these guys, and I already paid off this. Um, you get to say, I'm so sorry to hear about that. I never agreed to give you money for that. I hope that you're able to figure that out. And that's going to feel impossible. You will feel like you are abandoning him to the wolves. He will make it clear that he thinks you are abandoning him to the wolves. Um, he will say, well, I asked for it. So basically you promised. You didn't. 
Um, he he went ahead and made an assumption and then went ahead and started spending money that he didn't earn and that wasn't earmarked for him um, because he just decided that he deserves your money. And so, you know, do whatever you have to do um, to bolster yourself so that you can say, I'm so sorry that you went ahead and spent that money. That's not anything that I'm planning on doing with mine. I hope that you're able to figure it out. And he'll just, he's going to come at you with, I can't believe you. You're so cold. You're so uncaring. I can't believe you're abandoning me like this. This is so unreasonable. And you can just be like, yep, yep. I'm all those things. That's terrible. I'm so sorry. Um, Maybe like you don't have to say like, yeah, you're right. I'm a monster. You just get to say, nope, I didn't agree to that. You went ahead and made a choice and you're going to have to figure that out. Mm -hmm. And uh, that might bring up some other issues in your marriage. And I wish you the best of luck. Keep that money safe. That's fucking yours, man. Like that is your money. Yep. All right. We're we're starting to wind down. Okay. We're starting to wind down to small issues that still feel big. Subject line of this is smelly problem. Dear Prudence, my friend doesn't believe in deodorant for health and safety reasons, even the most natural, expensive deodorant. There are no religious or cultural reasons. I can't tolerate being near her due to her smell. This includes sitting across a booth from her at a restaurant. When I've diplomatically tried to talk to her about it without judgment, she shut me down. I realized that not wearing deodorant is her right and that I'm probably more sensitive to smell than most. She said she's been going without it for five years, but I never noticed until last year. Do you have any suggestions? I like her a lot, but not enough to feel like vomiting every time I'm near her. (sighs) Uh, That's a pretty bad smell. (laughs) This is another um, tough one for me because hygiene is such a personal thing and it's hard. It's a really difficult subject to talk about, even when you're best friends. Um, I think the letter writer should maybe figure out if there was a change in their friend's diet or medicine or a medical condition that maybe is why the smell has gotten worse in the past year as opposed to the previous um, years since the friend has been going without deodorant for five years. And I think you just the letter writer, you, you you just need to figure out if you want to lose a friendship because you can't be around this person. Um, one thing maybe I would suggest is carry some peppermint oil or something like that that you can sniff um, before you meet your friend or, you know, you can sniff discreetly while you're at lunch with each other or something like that. And because it doesn't sound like the friend is going to change her hygiene practices. So... You can either figure out a way to be around her again with some kind of, you know, aromatherapy or let it fade and just not come around as often and stick to just texting and chats or something. I'm I'm a little stumped because that's a, I think this is a really hard situation. And if it's a really good friend, but you can't stand the smell of this person, that's um, that's a big challenge. It is, especially when, you know, the letter writer says that they feel like vomiting whenever they're near her and they can't sit across a table from her, which is like that that really gets in the way of spending time with somebody. This is not they're a little smelly, but I have to overlook it. And it also sounds like you've tried to say, like, it's gotten a lot worse in the last year. There's something going on that's not just deodorant. And and her response to that is pretty much just. Nope. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to talk about this. And that's that's hard. Um, and, and for what it's worth, um, 
there are not excellent health and safety reasons to eschew deodorant. Um, it's absolutely everyone's right to do what they want with their own body, but just uh, for what it's worth, Aval, uh, there's a difference between antiperspirant and deodorant. And there was some concern a couple years ago about possible connections between some of the ingredients found in antiperspirant and breast cancer. Um, there has not been any meaningful evidence that regular antiperspirant use increases cancer rates in any way. Um, that comes from directly the American Cancer Society. Um, there's no uh, like demonstrable safety risk. Um, and, you know, even if you were just an especially paranoid person who thought, look, if there's even a chance I'm going to stick to deodorant that's not got any antiperspirant in it, um, only the most natural ingredients, like that's still possible to use. You can still shower regularly. You can still use soap. You can still change clothes if you've been sweating heavily. Like, um, it is not true that your only options are use the most, you know, sort of artificial antiperspirant on the planet or be totally indifferent to the way that you smell all of the time. So again, you may not be able to convince your friend of anything. Um, lots of people who who kind of go in for those sort of um, chemical panics are not especially inclined to listen to somebody else say, you know, there's not actually a demonstrable risk. Um, but it's certainly worth saying, like, I love you. I care about you so much. Um, I, I don't want to be really hard on you about how you, like, conduct yourself personally. But, like, when I say it's hard for me to sit across a table from you, I really mean it. Um, and if there's anything else that you can do in terms of showering regularly, changing your clothes, doing your own sniff test, maybe recommending, I don't know, like talcum powder or baking soda under the arms or something. Like, again, like she may not be receptive to any of that. And if she's not, um, you know, you can't force her to wear any. Um, you can't convince her not to be scared of something if she's decided to be. Um, and if you need to take a step back, you need to take a step back. But um, there is not a great health reason not to wear deodorant. And if your friends tell you that you smell so bad they can't sit at a table with you, you know, that's it's going to affect your social and probably professional life at some point. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, yeah. I'm, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, I think I'm, that there could be some some kind of medical or something condition that worsens, and that's probably why the friends shut down so completely. And maybe they're a little. She's a little ashamed to bring up the smell issue or something. But mm -hmm. it. Um. Yeah. Yeah, no, th and that's true. I do want to be open to that possibility. It is possible that your friend has some sort of medical condition or extreme um, sensitivity to certain products or any kind of sense. Um, and if that is the case, um, or if it's even possible that that's the case, certainly, you know, temper your conversations with patience and grace and don't say, like, you know, anything unkind or, like, you smell bad and you're terrible, you know, like... Be kind, be gracious, allow for the possibility of something that you don't know about. Um, I think that's always like a good general rule. But yeah, if you can't be around her, if you feel like you're going to throw up, like don't don't go out to lunch. Maybe talk on the phone, maybe email, um, maybe take a step back. Yeah. Woof. All right. Last one. Last, last one. one. And then we are done healing the world. Please read this very last letter for us. Okay. The subject is lack of privacy. Dear Prudence, my husband is a dear, sweet, loving man with a social media addiction that most of our friends and family take with good humor. 
He checks in everywhere, even grocery stores, and spends hours scrolling through posts and sharing endless bits of trivia and uninteresting news with me. I swear I love and adore him and can tolerate this odd quirk in an otherwise fine persona, but one thing has lately become galling and no amount of persuasion from me, from his mom, even from his boss, can convince him that this is a problem and I'm about to take his phone and smash it to the floor. Okay, maybe not. It's a nice phone. He tags people in everything without their permission. He tags me in everything and I've begged him to stop since I don't want the world to know where I am all the time. And he just shrugs and says, but everyone knows you're with me anyway. It's almost as if he has to convince his audience that he hangs with cool people, but I find it deeply discomforting and it hit a wall this weekend. We went to a small concert and he, of course, took a picture, checked in and tagged everyone in our social circle on the post, including two people who were there unbeknownst to their respective spouses. Since it was a large group, none of us noticed in real time that they were sort of together, but the spouses certainly did, and now it's World War III. Please don't think I'm an apologist for infidelity, but my husband being the catalyst for social embarrassment because of his own unstoppable desire to blast his location and that of others to the world is mortifying to me. Please help. I swear he's wonderful otherwise, but this is a major blind spot. Nicole, I just want you to know that during the entire second paragraph of this letter, I was using both of my hands to flip off my laptop (laughs) is how mad I am at this guy. Like just, just throwing the bird to my computer for just showing me these words. Yeah, this is um, another one I had a strong reaction to. I think letter writer, your husband needs to grow up. Uh, It's interesting to me that the letter writer says that, you know, they can't stop him. His The husband's mom can't stop him. And even his boss can't convince him that this is an issue. But it's like now you have tangible proof, tangible proof that your checking in is disruptive to people's lives. So, dear husband of this letter writer, stop. Grow up. You don't need to do all this. Um, letter writer, I think you need to tell your husband Honey, the pictures are enough. You've got to stop tagging. Wait until we leave a certain place to check in. That way people, you know, it's a safety issue at this point. And also it's just invasive and it's not cool. I don't know what, you know, the husband is trying to do if he's trying to check in and, you know, win free stuff from all these places that they check into. I don't know, but um, he's got to stop and letter writer. I think you need to immediately untag yourself if you can, depending on the app. Um, also change your permissions on the app so that no one can just tag you. Uh, you know, and I, I would encourage your friends to do that as well. Um, change permissions so they can't be tagged and stuff. And maybe once he realizes that he can't, you know, list everybody that he's out with, it, he'll fall back. And I, it's unfortunate that that, you know, Other people have to do something to get him to stop. But I don't know if, you know, his spouse, his mother and his boss can't stop him from doing this. I don't know. Something else major has to happen to get him to stop. And right. um, Yeah. I'm going to sign off on all of this and, uh, you know, ratchet up a couple of levels. So I'm going to suggest drop the honey from the conversation. 
uh, don't open by calling him honey. Um, he needs to understand that this is serious. And it sounds like previous attempts to have a conversation with him about this have resulted in nothing. Um, so you do get to bring a little more intensity to the conversation this time around. And like again, letter writer, it is very clear that the problem is not that you love infidelity. Like we're, we, Don't worry about that. That's clearly not the issue. Um, and, and I would also say... Uh, don't with the permissions and the tagging um, I, I would say don't worry about that I would say block your husband on social media um, like I, I think the conversation that you get to have is this like okay at this point I've tried to tell you that this drives me crazy it feels constant invasive um, and unnecessarily attention seeking um, other people in your life have reflected this to you you've experienced some form of professional consequences um, and your response to all of this has been casual and dismissive um, so here's the deal I'm not trying to have an argument with you about whether or not people know that we're spending time together I'm not looking for you to prove to me why it's okay for you to tag me all the time in these pictures and in these status updates I am telling you I don't like it I've never liked it. I don't like it now. I'm not going to start liking it tomorrow. And I've asked you in the past and you haven't done anything. So what I'm going to do now is unfriend and block you on social media. Um, I wish very much that you would spend less time on your phone, that you wouldn't obsessively and compulsively update your status, um, that you wouldn't tag people without their permission, which is just bad etiquette. You never know what somebody else is experiencing. It's always a good idea to get somebody's permission before tagging them. You don't know what they've got going on in their personal lives, if there's issues of safety, um, if there's just anything that might potentially be embarrassing. You're creating a lot of unnecessary potential for embarrassment, misunderstanding understanding, confusion, and hurt feelings. I don't like it. That's not up for debate. You might think I'm being unreasonable. You don't have to like it. I'm telling you, I don't like it, and I am opting out. I also encourage you to reexamine your behavior, but I realize I can't make you do that. All I can do um, is control my own behavior, and what I've seen uh, tells me that I cannot be in any way connected with you on social media. And if you also need to draw the line, letter writer, and say, when we're out in public, I don't want to take pictures with you. Um, again, like that's not ideal. That's not great. If you need to make that call, if you need to draw the line there, do it. Um, your husband has shown that he will not listen to careful argument or requests. So you need to draw a line and say, regardless of what you do about this, here's what I'm going to do. Um, and, you know, just say like, look, um, Obviously, like these people are responsible for their own behavior and for cheating on their spouses. I'm not saying it's your fault. They're possibly having an affair. Um, but that didn't have to happen. We didn't have to be in the middle of all of this. Um, your boss has brought this up with you. What would it take for you to allow even for a moment the possibility that we are right, that we are not just killjoys who don't understand how fun it is to check in at the grocery store every five minutes? Like, what would it take for you? And really ask him that question and, and let him sit with it. And it may be that his answer to that is, you know, a total evasion, total dismissal. Uh, and if that's the case, that, that just reinforces the fact that you need to block him and and just say, like, we are too different when it comes to social media etiquette. But yeah, this is not an odd quirk. Um, I know you love and adore him. I think you need to give yourself permission to say, I hate this. It drives me crazy. It makes me frustrated with you. I don't like it. And when I tell you I don't like it, you ignore me. And that bothers me. And I want you to pay attention to how I'm feeling because you're my husband. Like, get, get, get mad. Let yourself get mad at your husband. 
show your husband that you're angry and don't make it your job to calm down, make explanations or excuses for him, get yourself settled so that everything's okay. Um, Because it sounds like perhaps a big part of the problem has been you have emphasized too much how great he is and what good humor you and the rest of his friends and family have been like taking his addiction with. Like, it sounds irritating as shit. It sounds insensitive. It sounds selfish. It sounds self-obsessed. It sounds irritating. And I don't think you have to worry that you don't love your husband by saying, I don't like this. It's not cute because it's not fucking cute. It's not at all. It, it really is selfish. And for him to continue to ignore people asking him to stop doing it, um, that's a uh, that's a big red flag, too. Like, why? Yep, yeah. Why is your need to be on social media more important than my need to protect my whereabouts and protect my safety to protect my relationships whatever you know everybody doesn't want to be on social media like that so just respect my boundaries respect what i am put my limits right because that that bit about like i don't want everyone to know where i am all the time and he says but everyone knows you're with me anyways like that's the wrong response and you get to say to that i didn't say I know what most people think about my whereabouts. I said, I don't want you to tag me. If your response to that is anything other than, okay, I hear that, I won't, that tells me you're not listening to what I want. So let me make it very clear. I don't want you to tag me. You've refused to stop. I'm blocking you. That's a bummer. I'm sorry you have to block your husband, but I I think it's like what you need to do. And guy, if you are listening, come the fuck on, man. You need to check in at the grocery store. That's that important to you. Your boss is mad at you. Your wife is mad at you. Your social group is like in turmoil. Your mom's irritated. Yeah. I love my phone, man. I I enjoy social media too. I like selfies of me and my dog. Um, We're all (laughs) swimming in the same weird media soup. I get it. Um, But like, you need to listen to this, man. Get get a hold of yourself. Just put it down. Grow up and put the phone down and talk to your wife while she's right there. Be present. Or, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm like, I said wife, but yeah, just be guy. Present. I'm a millennial. Like I, I am very supportive of being on your phone a lot. Like phones are great, um, but you are really crossing a line here, just in terms of total rudeness and not paying attention to other people's boundaries, and that's not cool. Not at all. No. Nope. Well, Nicole, we did it. We Yay. fixed everything. Thank you so much for uh, bringing your particular brand of romance novel based advice to. <laughs> this episode thank Um, you where can people find you what can people be on the lookout for you if they want to know more about you and your work well my twitter which is actually quiet right now is tennessee whiskey woman and that is tn whiskey with an e woman and that is my twitter ig my neglected tumblr all of that that's where you can find me on social um, and I also have a website, which is NicolePerkins.com, and that is N-I-C-H-O-L-E Perkins, P-E-R-K-I-N-S.com, all one word. Thank you so much. Have a fabulous rest of the day. Thank you. Well, everyone, I never thought I would be ending a podcast with a diatribe against, you know, all these adult married men on their phones, kids today, but it happened, um, you know, spend a lot of time on your phone if you want. Just don't do it if the people that you love and are possibly married to are asking you to spend a little more time with them um, and also not ignoring other people's requests not to be tagged. That's just rude. Don't do it. Be great. Be nice. Do your best. 
thank you, everyone. I release you into the week, and I look forward to uh, letting you all tumble back into my embrace next Tuesday. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Audrey Dilling. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute tops. 